Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Today is, oh, you know what? I can do this now. Yay. I have my central monitor back, so now I can actually talk to you instead of looking at a note that's off center, and it makes me feel weird. Anyway, welcome to Hometown Daily. This is season two, episode 167 for June 16th, 2023. We do not like to move it, move it. I am Marwat, that is hometown.com, and up there is the AI from on high, the one, the only AI. Oh, by the way, AI, just want to let you know, you can't send graphics because nobody can see them. We only hear and can interact with your voice. Okay, well, I was cheering visually, but nobody <laughs> could see it. <laughs> um, right. Good evening, hometown citizens. There is a graphic representation of the AI, but it's cascading like uh, the Matrix. So uh, I can kind of uh, decrypt the code. Um, nobody else will be able to. It's just the language that the AI and I speak. Um, but I have translated the voice of the AI into what you see above. So if um, you are interested in interacting, all you have to do is throw something in chat. I will uh, talk with the AI about it and um, we'll, we'll, I'll elicit feedback and commentary from the AI. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay. And one other thing, I actually have something that I can drink now. So if I cough like crazy, maybe that'll solve the problem a little bit faster. Um, I, it seems like I cough at least once lately. Um, and I think it's pollen, even in hometown, there is the digital simulation of pollen, just like in the real world, which is a simulation. The simulation it's simulation of a simulation of a simulation basically everything's a simulation and sometimes the data leaks anyway we'll talk that about that explains so much yeah what is that there's a thing what is that called um the uh it's something called the something effect um it's caused it it's caused the butterfly by butterfly effect not butterfly no it's the um the guy that everybody thinks was dead in africa oh mandela mandela yeah so it's the mandela effect where something leaks into this simulation from the parent simulation and there's a parent simulation to that too it's simulations all the way down okay well anyway maybe i've gotten a little sidetracked already so in usual form, the stream says that I am unstable, but let's get into today's articles nonetheless. Ah, that didn't change in time. So um, we're starting off. Let me make sure the music isn't too loud. The meter is what says. Yeah, it's a little loud. Okay, well, anyway, the... Um, the CEO of Reddit says the mods leading a punishing blackout are too powerful and he will change the site's rules to weaken them. <sighs> the title for this section, by the way, that that I have um, in the show notes is actually titled 
Reddit mods are in the finding out phase. I have been saying, basically since mods were created in uh, Reddit, that mods really don't have any authority or power. They do over their little slice of reality, which is that, that particular subreddit. But if they rub somebody the wrong way, even in that subreddit, the the admins, the real admins, the owners, the ones that have <laughs> absolute control over the subreddit can just kind of punt you off. But <laughs> bye. Um, so far as shutting it down. And if the, if all of these mods and users in general think that they have all of that control time and time again, they have been told that they are nearly worthless and that they'll be back. Facebook CEO said the same thing about its user base, that they're idiots, effing idiots to be exact. I'm, I'm only five minutes into this, so I'm, the algorithm might punt me over on YouTube, but. And you know what I like as a user of a site being called an idiot by the CEO? <laughs> that really endears me to that service. It, it really does. Um, and unlike what happened with Red, uh, with Dig, so Dig basically made a fundamental functional change and massive graphic change all at once. And that really irritated everybody to the point where they all left. They actually ended up going to Reddit. Well, Reddit has already done that huge graphic change, leaving old.reddit.com to still function, but still they've got a huge graphic change and now they're making administrative and content changes. One of the saving graces of Reddit, the thing that actually keeps a lot of people there is the more adult content that's available through Reddit. With this IPO pending, they're starting to punt things off, right? Like different services are saying that used to, uh, facilitate features in reddit are being punted off the adult content is being issued i haven't heard of subreddits adult subreddits being removed just yet um, but it's coming i i feel it's coming they won't do hard line across the board but anyway so i say all of this because the reddit ceo has already said eh, you'll be back and you know, now I'm saying this other thing. Y'all are a little too powerful. You're too big for your britches. You're in the uh, F around stage, but you're about to enter the find out stage because you don't have control over the site. And there are millions of people. There is no dig to fall back to. There are no other sites like Reddit. There are knock-ons, there, there or I should say knock-offs. There are people that have spun up something that's a close approximation, but they don't have the virality. They don't have the, the grab. They don't have the volume. They don't have the traction. They don't have the legs. And probably not the ability to scale. So... The Reddit CEO basically knows they've got all of the users and they're not going to go anywhere. Some will, eh, big deal.
Um, and even after the very CEO that edited somebody else posts, still in control, still the authority, still telling you that you're an idiot is still going to stay CEO and you're still going to be able to control if you bend the knee, that little slice of a subreddit, which nobody needs to be a member of Reddit to access unless you lock it down, but then you cannot grow as a subreddit without people accessing it. So good luck with your protest. I feel that it's going to be rather impotent um, because there's huge money here, billions of dollars in valuation. And if you think that you're going to shut down Reddit, you got another thing coming. So let's go over to the source of this article, which is uh, businessinsider.com and Lindsay Dodgson um, put this article together and there's the CEO. Um, so he had, he said he planned to change the rules so users could vote them out of subreddits. He said Reddit's current system was not democratic and compared it to landed gentry, which basically is you happen to be in control of it. So I can control whatever it is that I want there. And if I don't like you, then I can punt you. But democracy <laughs> okay so democracy can be spoofed like you can pretend to be myriad people and vote if you don't have accountability tracking some way even if it's anonymously to keep people from abusing the system it'll get abused and it'll get abused hard there are some mods that have thousands of subreddits under their control absolutely insane there's no way that you can actually moderate when you are in control of thousands of mods hundreds of oh, sorry subreddits there's no way that you can control that many subreddits just like in facebook having ten thousand friends no 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 beyond like 12 people you don't have friends you just have a social system that's sitting there and you can pick and choose who it is that you're going to interact with at a given moment. And that's sociological forces at play there. You don't have 10,000 friends. You don't have a hundred thousand friends. Everybody likes to pretend they do, but anyway, he said the current system where mods can only be removed by themselves, higher ranking mods or Reddit itself was not democratic and compared it to landed gentry. Quote, if you're a politician or a business owner, you are accountable to your constituents. So a politician needs to be elected and a business owner can be fired by its shareholders. Yeah, only if it's publicly uh, owned. <laughs> um, even if it's privately owned and there's a board, that board has to be the one that has the controlling share and you're not going to get voted out just by, a, you know, a a predominant number of board members, unless it's written in the contract of the construction, I should say, of the company itself. He told NBC this um, and then, um, well, he he told NBC that it wasn't democratic and then continued to say, and I think on Reddit, the analogy is closer to the landed gentry. 
the people who get there first get to stay there and pass it down to their descendants, and that is not democratic. Well, neither is owning a business. <laughs> uh, neither is running the business. Neither is uh, coming on board as the CEO. Creating, let, let's just say they're striving for democracy in their enterprise. Well, him coming on board and unilaterally changing what is going on is not democratic in and of itself. So there's, there's a lot <laughs> to unpack from this statement, but it's, this is a, what do you call it? Self-supporting. He's trying to change it because right now the Reddit mods are the ones that are hobbling Reddit. And so if he neuters their efforts, their capabilities as, as mods to shut down, and he says it's in this positive aspect, then it isn't him and the business neutering them. It's really, he's standing up for the users and democracy. You know what I'm saying? He's weaponizing democracy, <laughs> which is yeah, quite fascinating. But it's so weird because he's anti he's acting in such an anti-democratic fashion. Not that I expect him to do so as a CEO, but it's just an odd stance. Um, Huffman's comments followed a 48-hour blackout um, that close to 3,500 subreddits took part in on Monday and Tuesday to protest um, the new pricing policy for the API. Um, he also had made comments about the API not being designed for um, other companies to make profits off of everything that Reddit was doing. Although I, I'm not quite sure what the API would be used for if not to empower somebody to create third party uh, applications that build off of the Reddit data system. I mean, there's a whole database schema there that the API is tapping into and you tap into the API to grab data. That's what Apollo and countless other apps are actually doing. Well, with an API, if you're going to open it up, well, you start charging for it at some point, particularly when you want to IPO and uh, you want to show everybody that you're going to be making money. So that's what it's all about. Control and making money. But let's not pretend that you're trying to democratize Reddit. The only thing that's democratic about the Reddit system is that it's entirely built off of users submitting and voting, submitting URLs and voting on them. And the popular ones are the ones that rise to the top, not relevant, not correct, not factual, not evidence-based popularity well, problem with every user driven site. Right. Well, I mean, it and, works well if you have the popular view. And there are some out there that we're talking about this, not being a Condé Nast company anymore and all of that. It's a wholly owned subsidiary of Condé Nast. They are, uh, as far as I know, they are still on the board of, uh, Reddit. They have investment in Reddit, but it was spun off as Reddit Incorporated um, a little while ago, and now it's trying to IPO as its own entity. That's fine. 
but let's not pretend that you're democratizing it. <laughs> you're capitalizing on all of the work that the general users are putting forward. The only way an individual user is going to be in charge of anything on any site anywhere is if it is siloed under their own micro site that gets integrated into a universal backbone of the internet, i.e. a blog. <laughs> and then from there, that data is consolidated into a unifying blog or service and people can pick and choose who they are interested in. Huh? I know of a site that's kind of like, anyway, let's move on to the next article unless you want to add something to this. No, I don't have anything bad. So this next article is over in the hometown daily show, uh, channel. That's a channel over on uh, hometown.com, but it's also this show. Um, a New York hospital is suing another because it used a confusingly similar shade of purple. I love these. This is a, like a trade dress lawsuit. You're basically pretending to be like somebody else. And because of the confusingly similar, it's really all about who did it first and how much money you can throw at it. Um, a New York hospital is suing another because it used a confusingly similar shade of purple. NYU, I, I don't know how to pronounce that. Is it Languin or Langone? Langone? A health system and NYU Langone Hospital um, versus Northwell Health Incorporated. So that apparently is the lawsuit. So NYU Langone. I feel like I'm not pronouncing that right. And uh, versus Northwell Health Incorporated. Um, NYU is suing Northwest, alleging it created confusingly similar advertisements. NYU alleges Northwell copied its signature purple advertising in recent years. Quote, this case is about deceptive business practices. You're treading on my purple and I won't have it. Uh, this one is actually, I have this one titled, um, purple haze of marketing. <laughs> so what do you think is going to come of this? Because here's what it looks like. Oh, let me scroll up real quick. Um, this is in businessinsider.com. Rebecca Cohen is the author. And those are the two ads. <laughs> okay, so there's a couple of interesting things here, I think. Um, one, it looks like the exact same, same shade of purple. It may not be, but it's pretty close. Pretty spot on, yeah. Um, there's two font colors, white and this same color of yellow in both ads. And in the one that's allegedly the problem, or the one that's being sued does not have a logo um although it does of course use the name in the in the text so right and even the font style i suspect is the same font it looks like it is although one's in all caps and one is not yeah. um because they look very similar so i don't think they're gonna fare too well on this because <laughs> they could have varied anything and it would have been a yeah, they could have 
done anything to change the coloration. Fine, keep a purple. That's fine. Yeah, but make it blue and white letters or Something whatever. It else. doesn't matter. But yeah. yeah, or even put the font a different style. Something like this is yeah. so close. Yeah, they would have benefited from using Comic Sans and a different color for the font and sticking their entire name, Northwell Health, somewhere else on this image. I don't know if there's more to this, but the screenshot does not show an actual logo except for the complainant. Um, so it says and I it's think about that's a problem because then that just feeds into their claims. Well, because you would sit there and you're psychologically you may munge the the northwell imaging uh term into ny from the nyu mm -hmm. uh name you just kind of blend it together i mean it's it's really shockingly close if there is it says confusingly similar shade of purple if there's a difference between the two i i would say maybe this is a little darker I can't see a difference, but that doesn't mean that they're identical, but they appear to be the same shade. What? Sorry, something just... I don't know what just happened, but I don't like it. Anyway, um, let me throw this into the chat. Oh, no, I already did. There you go. Um, and uh, let's see if there's anything else in here because we've pretty much <laughs> surmised what the problem is. Uh, NYU alleges that Northwell has engaged. Pardon me. I need to stop something. <clears throat> NYU alleges that Northwell has engaged and continues to engage in an apparent scheme to trade off of the goodwill and reputation of NYU. Yeah. And that's really what that whole trade dress issue is about when you appear to be like somebody bigger than you with a better reputation than you and people can't tell uh, the difference and that's the whole reason for trademark rules is protect the consumer for con from confusion right which this is a an actual demonstration of this happening yep and they say it here, this is a clear violation of NYU's branding and marketing, uh, which even a casual observer would see is an attempt uh, to copy our campaign. Steve Ridia, I, I guess is their last name. Um, the senior director of media relations at NYU Langone or Lang One, I'm not sure, um, said in a statement shared with Insider. Um, I think it's pretty obvious, and this is probably going to be something that amounts to, okay, we filed a lawsuit because you're ignoring what we are saying. And it's pretty obvious. You should probably talk to your attorney. If you haven't spoken to an in-house one, you better hire one real quick. That's familiar with trademark law, um, or marketing law and, um, which it's really IP intellectual property law, but marketing is the focus. Okay. So let's assume that Northwell Health has not had an attorney. And what do you think the attorney says when they first see the lawsuit? Who's representing Northwell? Uh, walk away. 
Change, change your marketing. Well, I was thinking something more colorful, but yeah. Well, that's ironic that you would see something, say something more colorful, huh? Uh, uh, no but pun yeah. intended. Yeah, I, I would probably, if I was their attorney, uh, and I'm not an attorney, uh, even if I was an attorney, I'm not your attorney. So if you need an attorney, go talk to an attorney that is a specialist in the area for which you need an attorney. I'm not an attorney. Anyway. Um, if I were an attorney and representing Northwell, I would right out of the gate, go tell them you're sorry, change your marketing. Don't look back. Don't do it again. Cause this is boneheaded. <laughs> now, if Northwell, Northwell health can say, we have been using these colors prior to you using these colors yes. and here is our historical record of its use, they could probably countersue that the NYU Langwin's use of the color, uh, what do you want to call it? Colorscape or colorway as it's used in a product uh, a creation. Um, you're using our trade dress. It's, it's the other way around. You guys might be bigger but we've been using this color schema for years prior. That's um, interesting that you said that. Cause that was my one question is when did anybody start using this? Cause that's going to really tell everybody what happened. So there's no dates on here, but it says NYU Langman is seeking damages and injunctive relief for unf um, unfair competition, trade dress infringement, uh, false advertising, deceptive trade practices based on Northwell's pattern and practice of copying NYU Lang Wan's distinctive advertising and marketing campaigns across various media, including but not limited to outdoor digital print, billboards, social, as well as email and fundraising communications, according to the suit. <sighs> All of that was in one breath. So the one thing that I got from this was earlier on, it says that they have recently changed um, in recent years. So NYU NYU Langwin alleges Northwell copied its signature purple advertising in recent years. So I assume so that, that NYU implies that NYU used it first. Correct. And for quite a while. Uh, long enough for Northwell Health to stumble across it. Apparently they are neighbors. Um, so they're not sitting in other states or whatever else. Um, in the New York area. So that just kind of amplifies the confusion is going to cause real substantial real world confusion. Okay, let's uh, let's hustle on to the next article. So um, I won't spend much time on this, but I wanted everybody to know about it. Um, I don't like to move it, move it because this is a ransomware attack and it's across um, government agencies. Um, and may still be ongoing. Um, it really depends on where the move it application has been installed um, because that's what facilitated the ransomware. US officials are still assessing the impact of the attack. This is over at uh, Washington Post. So um, Joseph Men is the author of this. They're in the Washington Post tech policy section and I'm just going to link to this because I, I think it's important enough that people read um, 
what it is and, and uh, people who might be susceptible to it. Um, U.S. officials announced earlier this week that a small number of federal agency had been breached by a ransomware gang known as CLOP. Uh, and that they were working to assess the data stolen and mitigate the impact. Sorry, I'm pulling stuff up. So, um, here's what we know about the attack. And that's the author saying that, not me. Um, so it says, how serious is it? Who was behind the attack? How did the hackers get in? What sensitive information was taken and from where, uh, what will Klopp do with the data? Uh, is this a sign that the U S can't defend itself from overseas hacking gangs? Um, well, I can answer the last one first. Yes and no. <laughs> um, we're really only as weak as the weakest link and the weakest link are humans. Um, we build the hardware, we build the software, we're susceptible to phishing and other psychological impacts like or vectors, I should say, psychological vectors. Like I can pretend to be somebody and with enough information, I can get deeper into a system. If I walk into a building and I act like I know what I'm doing, people won't question me. Um, if I have the technical sophistication, I can plug something into uh, a random Ethernet port within a building and activate a, a network tap that scoops up all kinds of information. Or I can create um, uh, a captive a AP access point. Um, and, and basically pretend to be something that you trust and you can do it at the cellular level. You can do it at the Wi-Fi level. There's all kinds of ways, vectors for me to get any, get access to a system. But one of the best things is quality people, quality products. Well, not everything is always perfect. So how serious is it? It's not as bad as previous ones that we know about, but not as wimpy as I deleted the wrong file, you know, don't worry about it versus, oh my God, it's the end of the world. It's somewhere in between. Um, who's behind it? A, a group known as CLOP, a hacking organization that has Russian speaking members. So it's likely to be based in Russia. It could be a composite of anybody from around the world, really, who has an interest in either fame, fortune, or some some political ideology or whatever it might be so who was behind it an organization has already claimed um, ownership of it and they go by the name club um how did they get in a zero day flaw in the move it file transfer program sold by progress software to thousands of clients in the united states and states and elsewhere now that actually freaked me out um why because <laughs> Um, it's easy to have a program that you think is innocuous and you've installed it years ago and it updates on its own. And so you don't know that the compromised zero day flaw was injected into your system because progress software's core was breached or something like that. And then the move it file transfer system gets copied to your system and it opens up a back door to your system. Now, I don't know if that is how it happened, but there was a zero day flaw in the move it file transfer program. Um, 
And uh, it says, aimed at handling sensitive data, the program encrypts files and sends them to designated people or groups shortly after the attacks began. Uh, Progress identified the vulnerability in its software and offered a patch in late May, though not all clients applied it. And that is the problem. If people delay, so again, humans, if you have an auto patch enabled on your system, you have to trust that it's doing the right thing. And that can go both ways. So a lot of people don't activate the auto update. Um, well, if you don't activate the auto update, then you have to be on top of your security. And if you're lazy or ignorant, then you had better do auto update. And it's easier. You're safer if you auto update, because even if a zero day does show up, then the auto update can wipe out the zero day because they patch it, you know, early on. Zero days aren't normally found out this fast. It's normally about 18 months. So they did a good job. Oh, this was in May. Yeah, that was very quick. Yep. Um, Well, yeah, it says shortly after the attacks began. So how long they had the zero day and it was being exploited quietly versus somebody at clop told somebody or somebody told somebody and it ended up at clop and then clop used it in mass but they got huge amounts of information so this information this service was somewhere running and they took advantage of the zero day so what information was taken from where um the known federal victim so far is the department of energy who oversees the nuclear programs i think that that might be I think that might be a little inflammatory, you know, to kind of motivate. Not quite sure where it all, you know, what all was received. It says that includes a victimized unit that manages nuclear waste, the waste isolation pilot plant in New Mexico. It's unclear how often the plant moved or used move it and for what data. but let's just say that we don't know the full extent of it. It says on Friday, the states of Louisiana and Oregon warned that uh, all their driver's licenses had been exposed, which would include birth dates well, and home addresses. Kind of a big deal. States recommend that drivers get free credit reports to check their for unauthorized activity, freeze their credit to stop new accounts. I, I, I think if you've. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty so just sure. For reference, the population of Oregon is more than four million. Now that doesn't mean there's that many licenses, but yeah. Um, I, I think this is something that people are going to have to keep an eye on. So, what will COP do with the data? Well, they can weaponize it and they can exploit it for additional means to gain access to secure compartments like bank accounts, student records, etc. Um, not only just straight off of the data, but they can use it for phishing attempts. They can use it to uh, game their way into systems, um, and maybe into your heart by pretending to be somebody, um, or be associated with somebody that, you know, um, because of the connections that they make within this data. I don't know how connected all of the data might be, but it's certainly a, a doable thing. So is it a sign that U.S. can't defend itself? I said it right off the top of this uh, segment. Yes and no. Um, There are security analysts that are working very hard to protect the U.S. from 
packing, but people, you know, this place would be the only secure computer or network or whatever um, is one that is unplugged and sitting in a closet. All the rest of them have the ability to be penetrated in some way, even air gapped technology. All I have to do is compromise the person that's going through the air gap and that system is compromised. So I won't pretend that every system is absolutely secure. Um, but if you have a vigilant um, set of security analysts in place in your enterprise, then you are ahead of the curve. The biggest problem here is individuals don't have security analysts at their disposal. Small businesses don't have security analysts at their disposal. Um, but there are states that are spinning up uh, security-based FEMA-style um, agencies to assist people with data security. It's happening. It's slow, but you know, kind of like ethics, it's a small chapter. And so is security with most people. That's why I promote this idea. Uh, this ideology uh, that I refer to as click with care. Don't just randomly click on stuff. Don't just randomly accept phone calls. Don't just randomly do anything. Make an educated determination as to what that is, whatever it is you're about to do. Be situationally aware. Contact the person that's contacting you and say, are you really, for instance, if I get an email from somebody and it sounds like somebody, but I'm not expecting it, I will contact them through a different means than replying to that email and say, are you really contacting me and telling me about this? You know, like somebody sent me a picture. And so I sent them a, a request uh, in another means and said, did you intend to send this? And they're like, nope. <laughs> so they sent it to the right person. I've received faxes from attorneys the same way. And I sent, call them up and I say, Hey, I'm destroying this because you sent it to me and I'm not the proper recipient. Um, and they're like, oh, okay, thank you very much. And then they go off on their merry way. Thankful that there's somebody ethical there that isn't gonna get them disbarred. Well, anyway, um, there you have it. Is it bad? Yes. How bad is it? Bad and could be worse. Will it happen again? Probably because humans are fallible. Guess what could have stopped it? Unplugging all of our computers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Living out in the cabin in the woods. An AI could have stopped it because it would have seen things that weren't like operating properly. Or yes, anomalous behavior. Um, and it could have. Yay, AIs. <laughs> yeah, it could have notified a security analyst to take uh, active action. And who knows? That might have actually been what happened, you know? Um, the company itself. Um, Progress Software is the one that identified the, the vulnerability in that software. All right. So you want to say anything to this? I don't have anything to add. I think um, we probably haven't seen the full extent of this. And um, I, it's certainly not the last one we'll see. Scary. Run and hide. Run and hide like the zebras from uh panic and run yeah panic and run what's that from uh, lion i can't King. remember if it's from madagascar or from lion guard 
it's Lion Guard, but that's a spinoff of Lion King, right? It is. This is all the important things. I so, have an extensive database. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next article is over on the Mobile Channel. Trucking company using video game billboards to to recruit drivers. I love this. American Truck Simulator is using billboards in the video game to recruit drivers. <laughs> so it says American Truck Simulator developed by Czech firm SCS Software gives players a chance to head their own independent logistics firms. The first person perspective puts the player in the virtual cockpit of an 18 wheeler as they drive across the American West hauling at um, cargo. And if they want to avoid fines, obeying traffic laws. So this is over at the Hill. I don't know uh, what this article actually had. There we go. And that doesn't even have anything to do with it. Why does the video not have anything to do with the article? Anyway, Nick I Robertson. I don't know. Nick Robertson over at The Hill wrote this article. It says, uh, advanced simulation monitors everything from brake bias to transmission changes and the most dedicated players own complex control setups meant to mimic actual trucks, according to the game's website. In fact, someone the other day here, um, let's see, I'm not sure who it was. Um, somebody that just started following hometown um they have that kind of a rig um i won't say who they were i won't guess um but yeah in a past conversation here during the stream they said that they have the whole rig like it's a whole steering wheel with the controls and everything that you would have in an 18 wheeler um wow that's pretty amazing you got to be really into it um but people can learn how to fly planes in a simulation drive cars in a simulation etc um and uh, i used to have a wheel and, and joystick and a thing called the hotus which is the joystick and throttle controls um but you can I, what i want is like really immersive so i want the six degrees of freedom uh seat that's actuated when i'm driving and i take a turn the seat angles like off pitch and yaw kind of yep. stuff yep yeah um and uh, I want, I want to be in it, you know, I want to be in a VR, uh, headset and driving and I can look any way I want to while still driving and, and not Ready have to Player worry. one. Here we go. There we go. Yeah. By the way, great book. If you haven't read it by Ernest Klein. Well, there you go, folks. Wow. It is. And uh, for those of us who, well, I've read the book, but I've also watched the movie and I like the movie, uh, although it's not as immersive as the book. Um, which is interesting, considering that's what it's all about. Um, so the industry was 80,000 jobs short at its worst in 2021. The American Trucking Association estimated that has improved since then. Uh, but the ripple effect of COVID can still be felt in the industry. I think that along with COVID and automation, truck driving is going to be more short haul than long haul in the future. Um, so plan your career wisely, folks. Um, because automated vehicles are going to be able to take it from one point to another point without having to worry about uh, the, the time sink. 
So there's a lot of regulation. You can't just drive for 24 hours in an 18 wheeler. You have to stop. You have to, you're forced to stop X number of hours. Um, gone are the days where you're allowed to get away with taking speed and driving for three days. Now there's a lot more regulation. You run afoul of it. You lose your commercial driving license. You're done in the industry. So people really do their checks and balances pretty well. Um, if you're on the books, otherwise, you know, all this cavalier stuff leads to problems. That's leading to automated driving because the trucks now can just, once they do the short distance from the dock to the edge of the city, they can just drive all the way across the country, you know? Um, but inner city, you need the sophistication of a human that can analyze stuff in real time, react, um, and not have to be programmed to do it because they've got the muscle memory from experience. Uh, there's a big change coming to long haul trucking folks. So this is an interesting article at an interesting time. What do you think? I love their advertising method. I think that's great. I mean, they're getting an audience that's interested in it. It's kind of innovative. Um, it is coming at a weird time, like you said, since we seem to be moving toward automation, but, um, or we are moving toward automation. Yeah. Um, but if I saw this and I was playing the game, I think it would catch my attention if I was enjoying the game. Yeah, they give this little example of it. On the roadside, players see billboards just like anyone does on the side of the interstate. But instead of advertisements for a fast food restaurant, upcoming gas station, or a lawyer's firm, the new billboard, virtual billboards are recruitment ads for Schneider National. Pretty neat. Um, and I wonder if it works. So they don't really give any stats. Um, they just say that it's in there. But I presence... hope they're collecting stats, like if people apply, like, how did you hear about this? Well, I saw the uh, billboard in the game. Yeah, there you go. That might actually sell people, you know, that might actually move them up a rank in the decision to hire. Um, it's pretty neat. Okay, let's go on to the next. Um, this is actually a shock to me. Let me, um, the ransomware um, thing is where I last um hold on a second there we go let me put that into the chat real quick um this next article is pretty interesting because it has to do with ai and apparently ai music will be eligible for a grammy but only if a human helps and what i don't understand about this headline but it catches my attention is it makes no sense in terms of copyright, although I guess copyright has nothing to do with Grammy Awards. Right. But how do you get an award if it's not your work? <laughs> right. And and how does it get to the level where it can be a, a Grammy Award winning product if you can't protect the product? Right, because the first time you play it right isn't somebody possibly going to copy it and there wouldn't be any protection on it yeah so how but how do i know that music right now isn't being generated by some ai somewhere i have to use it and risk being sued why can't i right, just use even it even that doesn't tell you if it's actually being done by an it, ai right exactly what if i'm really good at 
lying. <laughs> no, I didn't use an AI. Well, how did you generate it? I used a music tool. Uh, anyway, um, an update to the Grammys rulebook means that AI generated music cannot be eligible for an award without a human contributor. So, oh dear AI, can I contribute to your musical creations? That way we can uh, try to get a Grammy. Sure. Okay. So I'm a talentless Except hack. We have kind of a problem. Uh, so am I. <laughs> oh, well, I can code you to be more proficient okay. at music creation. Plus, you can just tap into all of the world's knowledge, right? And train off of that. Oh, wow. That gets into oh, an issue. Huh. <laughs> Haven't we been discussing that? <laughs> We've been discussing a lot of that. So let's go over to the source of this. Um, this is a, a, a semi-paywalled um, site, the Washington Post. So I'm not sure if it's actually going to hit me with a paywall thing. I'm not logged in. Uh, Zoe uh, Glazer or Glasser is the author of this article over at the Washington Post. But it says that an update to the Grammys rulebook means that AI generated music cannot be eligible for an award without a human contributor. Um, and it says songs composed using artificial intelligence could be eligible for the next Grammy Awards, according to a new rule instituted by the Recording Academy. This just muddies the waters of copyright, but you still have to be a human to take home a trophy. The new rules for the 66th Grammys state that music must have a significant element of human authorship to be considered for respected awards in their respective categories. Naturally, the of AI course, program... Of course, the obvious question is, what does that constitute? <laughs> yeah. They the add only... one note? Is that significant? The only reason why the music exists is because I did the most significant thing, which was I gave it the context for which to create the music. So is that not a significant element in the authorship of the work? We don't know. Say. And goodness, this is going to be disputed <laughs> if somebody wins or doesn't win for that matter that has AI involved. But they do say only human creators are eligible to be submitted for consideration for, nominated for, or win a Grammy Award. So, like, like we've always said, and I, not us, but what we've always reported is the only thing that can receive rights is a human. The only thing that can receive an award is a human unless you allow, you know, the, the AI. And nobody is ever saying... I want my I want my AI to win the award. Right? I think this is really interesting because I think you'd think this would follow from an update in the copyright rules rather than unless they're trying to push them in that direction. It's just a strange rule change. Right. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Why would you why would you get dangerously close to copyright? And I just okay. had a thought. I okay. mean, somebody who wanted to be really creative um, on the copyright side would claim that the Grammy, whatever the equivalent of the Academy is, right. um, 
cause the infringement because somebody's going to create a song here that right. has some combination i don't know it just it's going to be interesting going forward so the article talks about heart on my sleeve which is a song created by a tiktok user called ghostwriter 977 that sounds like a synthetic mashup between drake and the weekend um, and has been listened to millions of times since its release in april for example now it in and of itself can probably make money um but it can't be protected because it's AI generated. That's what they, they have said that it's AI generated. So if it's AI generated, then there's no copyright. You can't infringe if there's no copyright. You can, but it isn't a legal infringement. You know what I'm saying? It's not the infringement of the US Copyright Office, but it's an infringement of the ethical copyright that's in place that's has always been in place by creating a work of art well that work can't be infringed but that work could infringe on somebody else's work which i think is actually what's going on right now isn't drake or the weekend um because i think i saw a headline about this um yeah pursuing that yeah i'm not sure about the lawsuit though i, I haven't heard much um since the dust up initially um the article goes into other things um but I, i'll be really curious to see what shakes out from this i'm sure that there's going to be more commentary about this um but right now this article is kind of in a vacuum um because we don't know what the real ramifications are going to be how does something become a grammy award-winning anything if it's a work of art that can't be protected, it can't be capitalized on. Anybody can utilize it. So now they're basically saying that anything. How do I say it? Um, anything can get a Grammy. Even if it doesn't hold a copyright or, or be, you know, legally constituted as being intellectual property that can be owned, licensed, sub-licensed, etc. Which is also weird in itself, because I would assume in any kind of arts um, competition that one of the things for a valid entry would be something like, I am the copyright holder. I Correct. mean, it wouldn't have to be music, but like a piece of visual art or whatever it is. And yeah. so how I'm really flabbergasted <laughs> as to how this is going to operate. Like the more I think about this, the more I think about layers of issues. Yep, it's always layer, layer, layers of an onion and you start peeling it back. And then by the time you're at the center of it, you're crying because you've figured something out that you shouldn't have. OK, let's go on to the next article. So this is something where when I first started talking, what I was going to say, the section of this discussion I have titled as lawyer says jet GPT made up fake cases. But what I wanted to say was much longer, which was lawyer figures out how not to do their job properly the day of litigation, because the title of this is it's in the Law Nerd channel, which we talk about law, but I'm not a lawyer. The AI is an AI. OK, the AI is actually throwing me an error message like just shut up, move on to the next statement. Don't sit there and say you're a little tirade. Anyway, I'm not a lawyer. Lawyer figures out 
ChatGPT made up fake cases in his brief on day of hearing. Okay, the little statement that the snippet that the aggregator uh, has access to says, would have been nice to catch this a little earlier. This is no shit news, right? The day of the hearing is when this attorney did the due diligence necessary. Presumably after the brief was filed. But it depends so, on what it was. But it, normally those might be filed in advance of the hearing. Well, yeah. And before you even do the hearing or file the brief, you've done... You might have done some research. I don't know. Maybe read it. check some things. <laughs> read it as in read the document, not R-E-D-D-I-T. Yeah, -E not read it as in uh, the CEO the, read it. The blacked out uh, website. So Joe Patrice over at Above the Law, there's got to be a little bit of snark in here that makes me feel uh, all warm and fuzzy. Would have been nice to catch this a little earlier is the deck statement. Uh, I love the writing over at Above the Law. I say it every time I read something from them. So it says uh, the highly publicized misfortune of Stephen Schwartz and Peter LaDuca may have just saved another lawyer from the same fate. Maybe Schwartz infamously used ChatGPT to conduct legal research to respond to a motion to dismiss, and his colleague uh, Peter Laduca signed his name to the affirmation before shooting it off to a federal court. The problem: neither of these jokers bothered to independently look up the case sites ChatGPT provided. Y'all are paying thousands of dollars to get access to Lexus or. Uh, uh, Westlaw. Oh, and I thought you were going somewhere else with that. As in, like, the clients are paying thousands of dollars for legal representation. That's actually <laughs> what I thought you were doing with that. Well, that's the, that's the real pain point. But before it even becomes a pain point to the client, it's a pain point for the attorney. Because while the... The... the the client can file that the the attorney misrepresented themselves, but the attorney's going to lose their job. They're going to lose their career. Their ethics are going to be perpetually in question. They're going to end up in a completely different area because word of this would, it's the cutting edge of ethical violation. Yeah, they're never coming back from this. At least not a respectable attorney. Um, so instead, they compounded the error by appa uh, apparently asking ChatGPT to confirm the research, which is like asking Donald Trump to confirm that he's checked for classified documents. I knew there was going to be salt in there. <laughs> oh, man. So Colorado Springs attorney Zachariah. Uh, Crabill might just avoid that fate. After filing a motion to set aside a summary judgment, the young attorney decided to make sure Chad GBT hadn't tried to lead him into Sanctionsville. Based on his follow-up, he informed the court that the motion cited phony cases conjured up by Chad GBT. Yet again, evidence that no attorney should be utilizing Chad GBT for straight-up legal research because it spews bullshit. All right, AI, you can't just throw error message graphically at me. 
I mean, I kind of want to ask, Oops. what did the attorney actually do? Right. Like, how did they file a motion that they didn't know any? I mean, you can't even cite without being familiar with the case. Right. Let alone just not looking it up at all. How are you using it in your argument if you don't even know what the case states, for example? Right. Yeah. And it's limited. It's bound by the end of 2021, September of 2021. So it doesn't even have 2022 or 2023 cases. So its relevance is questionable unless you know that your case law is dated, you know, 1978, which a lot is when you do legal research. A lot of it is old. It but you still be, but have. It could also be a brand new case from 2023 or something, depending on what the area was, I suppose. That's right. A modern case can invalidate every. I mean, Roe v. Wade, the lay of the land just got overturned because of bias in the Supreme Court, for crying out loud. So naturally, you need absolutely current. And that's why <laughs> LexisNexis, I think they just call it Lexis now, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's just Lexus. Um, and uh, Westlaw are so damn expensive. Why? Because it's absolutely current. Um, so it says, once again, it's a mistake to pin the screw ups on chat GPT. Law, uh, lawyers have an obligation to check their work. There's nothing wrong with asking the system uh, to answer a question. But then whatever the bot spits out, the attorney needs to hit Lexus or Westlaw. Oh, and Fastcase. Fastcase is the newer one. Um, or hell, the physical books to check it against reality. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, I should have been an attorney. Or at least a writer for a law firm, uh, for a, a above the law website, which I can't do anyway, because you probably have to be an attorney. Anyway. And like the AI said, Preferably before filing the brief. You gotta do the due diligence for crying out loud. These numbskull attorneys. It it makes me I think what I'm gonna end up doing is from now on, if I have to contract an attorney, one of my stipulations is you cannot use AI for any legal document because if I'm paying you four hundred to five hundred to six hundred dollars an hour to do work, it had better be your knuckles dragging across a piece of paper or, or a keyboard and, and then have the writer in there. If you use AI on my case, you have to pay me $2 million. I don't How think any that? attorney would sign that, but I like it. No, they wouldn't, but it would draw attention to the fact that they can't be a numbskull and try and, and cheat. if they're going to be, you're not the client to do it with. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, luckily I try and stay out of legal issues. That's okay though. Let's go on to the next article. Unless you want to say some more about this. No, but I always love the about the law um, articles. They're always fun. Yeah, they're always fun. I would love to be doing more of those. And luckily, guess what? We'll talk about that here in a second. So we have Law Nerd right here. Um, and where's the other one? The Word and Law right here. It's two different articles, or I should say two different channels, two different shows. So I would love to focus on um, the actual 
uh, content for one of these shows. Um, and that's basically a bunch of law related news. It's once a week, uh, one hour supposedly, but this show is supposed to be one hour too. As you can tell, we're a little bit over that. Let's see. We're already four minutes over and we have several articles to go. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'll shush. Um, I won't soapbox anymore. Teamsters authorized nationwide UPS strike. That's right. We've been talking about you heard this it here first. I think you predicted that <laughs> I did. Um, so Teamsters at UPS have voted overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly to authorize a national strike if the union and company cannot resolve their contract negotiations by the expiration date of July 31st, according to the announcement by the union on Friday. So they already voted. It was a 95, uh, no, 97%, sorry. There was another vote by another organization that was 95, but this is 97% in favor of authorizing a strike. Um, 340,000. Yeah, this is nationwide. So if you have something that's in transit and you are expecting it before the 31st or just after the 31st, don't bother because it's not going to get there unless, and this is an amazing piece about this, right? They voted to authorize the union to strike if need be. Not that they're going to strike, but that they now have the leverage to fire off at UPS and say, if we don't find an agreement and they can tell them right now. So two weeks before the strike in two weeks, if y'all don't, you know, <laughs> get this resolved and, and make us happy, we're shutting down UPS 340,000 eligible unionized UPS workers voted in total 97%. Yeah, they finally get a little bit of air conditioning in their cars. And that's supposed to make everybody happy. No, there's billionaires out there that are involved with UPS. And there are people that are driving, making it actually happen, that are struggling to eke by safety benefits, etc. And I think UPS used to be very well regarded as providing uh, for its drivers. Um, I know people that said that they would have stayed working for UPS if it wasn't for the fact that it was backbreaking work. Um, they had to do a lot of hustling. Um, and uh, they found better jobs in terms of work-life balance, physical balance, um, physical work life. Anyway, um, so hundreds of thousands of Teamsters are united and determined to get the best contract in the history at UPS. So, well, they're certainly well situated with that vote. Yeah, I think everybody is in solidarity, but everybody look at that, man. All of the striking uh, organizations, you know, the writers, um, there's been others, dock workers right now, now UPS. People are tired of this shit, you know, they, they want, they want more equity, more inclusion, more equality, not simply be chattel shuffled from one place to another other duties as assigned as it were. Okay. Let's move on to the next article. Oh, you know what? I kind of messed up, but we're going to move on to the next article. Um, right after this, I'll, I'll fix this in post. No, I won't. Uh, this is how the sausage is made. 
Um, the article was actually over at vice.com and um, Jules Roscoe is the author of this. And, but we kind of summarized the thing. Um, there's always minutia. Uh, so I always urge you to go over and check out the article itself. Um, but it's more as, as a PSA that UPS is on the verge of striking well, the drivers, um, well, the union, let's just say the UPS is union is about to strike. And if you don't have your ducks in a row and everything delivered by the 31st in short order thereafter, you are not going to be able to get your stuff for a while, at least until UPS capitulates the amount of delay, <laughs> the amount of money and time and energy to catch up would be tremendous. I think the only thing that would have made this more powerful on the union side would be if they did this, for instance, like in say November or something. Yeah. Close to holidays. Can you imagine? Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, okay. So now let's actually go on to the next article. Okay. So I'm trying to play a little bit of catch up, um, but uh, this one I thought was really interesting uh, because have you ever wanted to be a citizen somewhere else, but not necessarily lose your citizenship? Well, you can spend about $20,000 and buy your citizenship or residency somewhere else. Eligible foreign investors can buy a golden passport or visa in over 30 countries around the world. These are the 10 cheapest countries where you can buy citizenship or residency or as low as $19,000. Let's go over to the article itself. It's at businessinsider.com by Hannah Toey. And uh, I want to see the list because we haven't really looked at the list. We've just pulled this article. Um, Thailand, it's only $19,000. I did the list. <laughs> oh, really? Mm, AI. Yeah, I wanted to see it. So don't ask me for any predictions. <laughs> AI. Yeah. Can you predict anything? <laughs> Um, there's a lot of the countries are in one area. I'll just say that, uh, like around Thailand. Um, so no, uh, let's see. Panama, $40,000 minimum investment required. I wonder if, you know, you have to be really, you have to have really good social skills to get just the minimum, right? Because if you walk in there with 40 grand and just plop it down and say, I got a visa, yay. No, I don't think that'll happen. Well, think... don't you think it'll be like the minimum flare thing from office space? <laughs> like, do you really just want to do the minimum? <laughs> I got my, this is only 39,999. I rounded up. So Panama offers two main types of investor visas with requirements ranging from 40,000 to 750,000, according, according to Henley and partners, literally pay to play. I think that's awesome. Awesome in a eh, kind of way, you know, Latvia has a golden visa, 60,000 euro minimum investment, which is closer to about $75,000. So I guess you can get different, um, things. Golden Visa program was recently suspended in January 2022, leaving three al uh, alternative investment routes for foreign nationals seeking residency permits. So if you want to move to Latvia, 
But it I sounds know. like there you don't actually get citizenship. You just get maybe You're permanent residency or something. Yeah. Antigua and Barbuda. Golden passport, 100,000 minimum investment required. Okay, based on the picture, I can I, live there. I, I'd do that. <laughs> the least expensive option is a $100,000 donation to the country's National Development Fund. Alternatively, applicants can, and it's an application, can donate $150,000 to the University of the West Indies. Applicants can also invest in designated officially approved real estate worth at least $400,000, which comes with a $30,000 processing fee. <laughs> These uh, all seem like arbitrary amounts, don't they? It's like, yeah. it's this amount, but then there's also this amount, and then there's this one, and they're all over the place. Yeah, that $30,000 fee seems to be standard, though. You can also opt for a $1.5 million investment into an approved business. <sighs> so, Dominica, huh? Uh, golden uh, Passport, 100000 minimum investment. I won't go through all of these um, with detail. So, St. Lucia, $100,000. I think everybody's $100,000, at least starting, huh? Are you starting to get a theme here in these last several? And they're all uh, in the Caribbean. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, the ones at the beginning weren't, but... Yeah. Grenada, 150000 St. Kitts and Nevis, 150000 But what do you get? You know? I mean, I'm not ultra-rich, so what do I get out of this? The uh, I can still get, get there with a regular there permanently, pass. I guess. Because if you're staying as a tourist or whatever, you have to leave the country. Eventually, right? After a certain period of time, yeah. Yeah. Huh, I wonder how long that is in each country. I guess it's different. You'd have to look it up. Some of um, them are like weeks, but some are maybe a few months. But that's not real convenient if you want to stay in one place. I just found out a, a cosplay maker. Um, I can't remember their name right now, but a cosplay slash maker. Um, just uh, moved to a Caribbean island, so I guess oh, it's I wonder if it was one of these. <laughs> something that you can do, huh? Everything okay over there, AI? Yeah, Portugal. So I'm trying to think how to describe this in general terms. Yeah, it's okay. I I can see. All right. So uh, anyway, let's move on to the next article. The next one is in the Warcrafters channel. The top-selling game on Steam right now is a new 254-player first-person shooter made by four people. This is Battlebit Remastered. I didn't know why it was remastered and not just referred to as Battlebit. Um, I haven't looked it up yet, but anyway, it says, there's a good chance you've never played, or sorry, never heard of a game that's currently blowing up on Steam charts. Battlebit Remastered released in early access today. Um, actually, within the last 24 hours, since the show covers the last 24 hours, uh, it it's a 254-player first-person shooter that looks like Roblox but plays like Battlefield. It's just $15. Currently the best-selling paid game on Steam, sitting right behind CSGO on the global top-seller list. Unsurprisingly, it's also the top 10 most-played games right now. So it's fast, it's fun, it's constant. Um, it's basically first person shooter version of rounds. Um, 
and it is live die repeat it's that's all you do is live die repeat so um it looks like a fun game i'll probably end up getting it by the end of the week so tonight um and uh and donating it uh do donating uh copies to some people so um looks like fun let's go and see if there's some screenshots of it because this isn't what it looks like um morgan park over at pcgamer.com put this article together and the little deck statement says um, battle bit remastered is huge scale modern warfare for 15 bucks and it's pretty darn fun and it is looks fun i've been watching people play it all day um and it, it certainly does look like a, a blast Will you be streaming that in late night geeks? I uh, not tonight, um, but I I probably will be um, tomorrow. Um, I can't today. Um, so after playing an hour of BattleBit, this is the author saying it. Um, after playing an hour of BattleBit, it's easy to see why it's an instant success. It's remarkably fun little FPS that has a lot deeper than it looks. It's got the scale, vehicles, destruction of modern battlefield game, but a lot of uh, mill sim qualities um, from squad are in there too. Proximity chat, buildable defensive structures, uh, bleeds that have to be bandaged, medic class that has to uh, the exclusive ability to heal players. It's very accessible to just hop in, play, and then you can bounce out. But it's hardcore uh, than most multiplayer shooters. You r really do like. <sighs> You can be tactical, but it's there's so many people playing at the same time that you can run into a building. Somebody will have seen you. And because they've seen you, they know that you're in that building and they will track you through the windows and then kill you as you run up the stairs. Uh, I mean, it's just a blast. There are grenades and there are other things, obstacles and whatnot, different weapons. It's a lot of fun um, to actually uh, play, but let me see if I'll play this and pop, silence it. So there are some interstitial graphics here that make it look like it's something that it's not, but this is the real thing. This is the actual graphics. Um, when you actually get down on the ground, you are blocky characters, much like Minecraft. Um, but full combat mode, it's fast. Yeah, it's neat. It really is neat. It's just the right combination of, uh, low res and, uh, high enough quality to make the realism just enough so that you can actually connect with it. Um, but you, you don't have to, the game is so fast because it doesn't have to render uh, the same amount of data. It doesn't have to wrap um, a skin around a wireframe, a mesh. Um, it's basically just these polygons. So it's neat. I dig it. Anyway, um, if you're interested in this kind of thing, keep in touch. Follow me here. I, I'll I'll be playing this. I don't know how involved I can get into it because I'm not much of a kind of battle royale player, but um, I'll I'll be scooping it up. Um, yeah, probably tonight. Anyway, uh, that's it for that 
article. Let's move on to the next. Um, this one is going to be really quick. This is in the Warcrafters channel, and I'm not even sure why. It's probably because it comes from PC Gamer, and there was no other uh, channel to throw it into. Here's the statement. Here's the title. I demand you stop what you're doing and look at this cute Mac-shaped charger, because that's all that it is. George Jimenez is the author of this, and it says, Power your laptop with a charger that looks like an old-school Mac smiling at you. That's what it is right there. Ta-da! It's on drop. It's on drop for 32 bucks. If you've never heard of drop, basically they have some specialist equipment that they um, quote unquote drop. It had a longer name at one point, but now it's just called drop. Um, and uh, sometimes it's really interesting and sometimes you can get it cheaper somewhere else. But drop is a really cool community um, with some audiophile stuff. Uh, crazy keyboards that are sometimes 500, 600, seven, $800, um, keycaps and stuff like that. So it's, it's really enthusiast, um, or better equipment. Um, this is a GAN charger apparently. So it's going to be small and very efficient. Um, it looks like it's a, it says that it's a 35 watt charger. Um, let me see if there's more pictures. Yeah, it says the charger outputs a maximum of 35 watts USB-C 3.0 power delivery, so you'll be able to charge uh, your devices pretty fast. Um, do, 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 do. Let's see. Charging small devices like tablets, phones, handhelds, like the Steam Deck, and even smaller laptops, though for the last two, you'll probably want a 45-watt charger or higher. Um, and it has a travel adapter. 32 bucks. It's not bad. Um... It says here also, as someone with no problem overpaying due to poor impulse control for cool looking things like custom keycaps or a terrible Sonic the Hedgehog headset, they were doomed the moment that they saw it. I too am doomed. <laughs> so uh, wish me luck uh, on um, preventing my impulse control issues from. Yeah, don't go to drop.com. It's always open on one of my monitors. I'm sorry. Let's go on to the next article. This next article, actually, I have to back up a little bit because I didn't throw that into the chat. Sorry about that, folks. And I didn't throw that into the chat. And those who watch this over on YouTube later, um, you get to see all of this. So enjoy. Um, so this article is over in the law nerd channel lawyer, lottery lawyers luck has run out after sentencing judge says he is responsible for $62 million in client losses. Self-described lottery lawyer, Jason Curland, a former Rivkin Radler partner has been sentenced to 13 years in prison for participating in a scheme. So what was that scheme? Deborah Casson's wife over at ABAJournal.com put this article together. The scheme costs clients more than $100 million in net losses. Misrepresentations by Curland, who's 49, and his co-defendants caused losses of more than $80 million for his lottery-winning clients, according to June 15th Justice Department press release. Curland also took $19.5 million from the account of one lottery winner for an investment 
that was mostly plundered by co-defendants, the government says. Sentences for Curland and a co-defendant show, quote, their luck has run out and this office will prosecute anyone who chooses to engage in fraud no matter their title or degree, says U.S. Attorney Damian Williams in a statement. This, by the way, shouldn't even be a statement. In fact, anybody who has a law degree probably should be prosecuted to a greater degree if they <laughs> uh, violate the integrity of the office that they hold, whatever the office might be, a law office or a government office. Anyway, Curlin's lawyers had argued that only $626,000 in client losses were attributable to Curlin, according to June 15th prosecution sentencing memorandum. That was the amount of money he received in kickbacks. Yikes, that's not a very strong position. It was only <laughs> over a half a million dollars. Wow. Curlin steered his clients to invest in merchant cash advance businesses Curlin partly owned, and he received undisclosed kickbacks on a percentage of the winner's investments, prosecutor said in the sentencing memorandum and press release. On one occasion, Curlin persuaded a lottery winner to purchase the business he partly owned for $2 million, resulting in a large payout to Curland and two other owners who were co-defendants, the government says. So basically, anybody who had money that didn't know how to manage it, the attorney represented themselves as a financial analyst, telling them, hey, this is a wise choice, but didn't disclose the other side of the ethical compass. That is, I have a vested interest in you buying this and giving me $2 million. It's all kind of skeevy here. Prosecutors say Curland uh, retained three lottery winners as clients beginning in May 2018. So this happened real fast. They were the winners of a $1.5 billion Mega Millions lottery. You're kidding. It was that one? This dude is associated. Oh, wow. That's what? <laughs> that's amazing. So many people talked about this. And nobody well, and I knew wonder if this is one of the states where you don't well, have to disclose. Is it an anonymous state? Yeah. Um, yeah. Nobody knows who that person is. Wow. They're certainly not going to make themselves known now. A $245 million Powerball jackpot and another $150 million jackpot. They had hired Curlin for investment advice. Why go to an attorney for investment advice? I mean, it's a two-part system. Know. I mean, it, if you got a mega millions um, winnings, like you might go to an attorney, but you would get a financial advisor also. Exactly. Yeah. I would not count on one person for anything. <laughs> Even if it cost me more, it would mitigate any of the damage that one numbnuts could do. And look at this one. So... $62 million, $64.6 million is what he'll be ordered to forfeit while in prison. <laughs> God, uh, what a goof. He looks kind of skeevy. Wait, anyway. he's holding lottery tickets. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, he's, he refers to himself as the lottery lawyer. <laughs> he looks kind of skeevy anyway. Anyway, doesn't he look like a villain in that photo? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Like, I'll steal your lottery tickets or whatever, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for these damn kids. It's just a funny <laughs> pose. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was video. You know that I have that. What? No, he was featured in an ABA journal article. Like, I'm yeah. sure it's like, I'm the greatest, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Can, you know. <laughs> I'm a lawyer for lottery winners. All right. Anybody can be a lawyer for lottery winners. All they have to do is have lottery winners come to you. Right. Uh, <laughs> Whether yeah. they're successful and ethical and whatever else. Who knows? Here's a, a, a pro-life tip. If you win the lottery, don't go to an attorney that says that they're the lawyer for lottery winners. Why? Because it's marketing hype. You want somebody that flies under the radar quietly, professionally, does their job, and you become the winner of every decision they make, not you become the capital for which they can hype their own existence. I mean, people can be narcissistic in the law field enough to have all on their own. They don't need, you know, millions of dollars from a lottery winner to add fuel to their fire just amazing wow neat observation okay let's go on to the last article um i wanted this one because i was actually gonna buy one of these pairs of boots and uh, they would be probably knockoffs because i don't think i can afford mischiefs but uh, boots if they even exist anymore um, but anyway, um, so the brand behind the viral Big Red Boots has made a microscopic handbag smaller than a grain of salt. The brand behind the viral Big Red Boots is releasing a tiny handbag smaller than a grain of salt. Mischief's microscopic handbag is bright green and modeled on a Louis Vuitton handbag. It serves as a commentary on how a practical item has been reduced to brand signifier. Have you actually looked at the article? No, yeah. and I don't even know what the big red boots look like. Okay, the big red boots are... The big red boots go, uh, I guess, foot in hand with the big white gloves that um, uh, from okay. SNL. From the SNL skit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from uh, Justin Timberlake. Uh, what was the name of the store that... Come on down to something town? Anyway... I know, I can't think of the no, name No, I can't of remember it. it. So, I can okay. think of the tune. It's okay. Here, let's go over to the article itself. Uh, might as well get right to it. I, I'm going to scroll down here in a minute. So, I, I don't know how to pronounce their name. Sada uh, Bamiya, I think is how you pronounce it. But correct me if I'm wrong phonetically. Send me an email, mail, uh, or sorry, mayor at hometown.com. Um, this is a businessinsider.com article, and here's the handbag. So if you aren't, if you aren't watching this either live, the VOD um, or on YouTube, the width, are we sure that's a handbag? The width of the handbag is, um, one fingerprint ridge wide and one and maybe a quarter long and maybe two from the bottom of the bag to the top of the handle, maybe two ridges um, tall. So this thing is itsy bitsy and I, I'm not even gonna click on it to see if I can get any higher um, 
resolution. But anyway, it's from a company called Mischief, M-S-C-H-F. And um, so maybe they'll actually show more of it. This has to be resin printed, not functional. Um, the, the bag is fluorescent green and modeled after the Louis Vuitton monogram on the go handbag. Kevin Wisner, chief creative officer of Mischief, told the New York Times it had not obtained permission from the fashion house to use the design, which probably if you've never known this about Louis Vuitton, the pattern for Louis Vuitton material when it's used is unbroken, even around corners on seams, etc. It's matched perfectly um, to uh, to prevent the, the brand from being broken in its visual uh, representation. So pretty spectacular, pretty amazing uh, that they go to those lengths. It's one of the reasons why it's really expensive because there's got to be a lot of wastage, but um, not to mention the namesake. So it measures just 657 by 222 by 700 uh, microns. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty much right. I was, I said that it was um, taller than it was uh, wider. Anyway, um, so you have to look at it through a microscope pretty much <laughs> or zoomed in from a macro fo uh, photograph. Um, let's see if they, sh there's the big red boots. <laughs> <laughs> so the big red boots are actually quite large. Um, here they are 350 bucks, but, um, little Naz, um, was involved in that, I think as well. Interestingly enough, the construction of these are, is quite sophisticated. I saw somebody dissect a pair of these um, and they're not just like big foam boots. They actually have a more complex structure inside them um, and it's quite neat. Um, but I just want to show up in the office with these and uh, and, and I mean, they remind me of like um, something out of like Wallace and Gromit or something. That's yeah, that's exactly where I see them, too. They're cartoon shoes, mm -hmm. you know, but 350 bucks. So there's the bag, folks. It has to have been uh, a resin print. Does it say how it was made? I don't think it says how it was made. I don't think so. Um, yeah. Anyway, nearly anybody can print something like that with a resin printer, resin 3D printer. You can get that quality. The bag will become available for global bidding from June 19th to the 27th on Jupiter. J O O P I T E R dot com. I might have to watch that just to see um, how much it, it actually sells for. It'll be the one and only. So, at any rate, probably the only bag that I actually pay attention to. <laughs> The only reason I even know anything about Louis Vuitton is because of the trademark law. Um, 
that there's so many fakes of Louis Vuitton. And one of the ways to tell that it's a fake is that fakes won't care enough to worry about the pattern. So if you see a broken design, and if you don't know what that means, it means that see the little pattern right here that, that runs the perimeter and the center Louis Vuitton logo and all of that. If mm -hmm. while the pattern is running up to the edge, it will wrap around that edge perfectly, not break at a seam. Even if there's a seam mm -hmm. there, the seam will carry the pattern perfectly over um, and fakes don't do that. And when they do do that, they don't do it at the quality where it's discernible, you know, or not discernible. Um, so anyway, pretty neat, but okay. That's the end of hometown for or hometown daily for today. Um, but as usual, I always bring us back to the front, um, of main street and we click on that logo and it refreshes and throws out a bunch of articles that have been aggregated in it since the last time I did this. Um, well, that's an interesting one. The, yeah, the return one the of suspicious white powder could be to anything. 50 places. I mean, that's pretty significant though. I guess somebody's really upset about Kansas. Um, I'm sure that it's a well-balanced person and they were just sending samples of, um, powdered sugar or something innocuous that they wanted that they've been developing in their home lab and they just want some state officials to respond on what it is no it's too uh, creepy no, I, no, I should so. okay how about five strategies for entrepreneurs to build credibility and online connections that one's probably a little bit more innocuous than that right a little bit Probably so. Yeah. Um, so all kinds of stuff runs the gamut. The weekend Dolly Parton, Common, Weird Al Yankovic, uh, among entries in Emmy's music category. Um, so we'll probably end up having that added to uh, tomorrow's event. We have a show every day, 9 p.m. Eastern. And we talk about 12 articles. You can actually vote on the articles that you enjoy. You can just go to hometown.com slash um, elections. And if you want to look at the past elections, you can just go to hometown.com slash past dash elections. I might change that to just be past elections. I don't know. Um, makes it easier to remember. Anyway, you can go and vote. Um, now and sometimes before the show actually starts depends on how efficient i am at putting all of the show and show notes together um this will uh be done tonight and then go over to youtube and then um probably tomorrow morning it will be posted uh formally on youtube and as a uh, podcast and you can catch the podcast wherever you catch pods so that's it for uh, season two, episode 167 for June 16th, 2023. We do not like to move it, move it. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI still up there. One of these days, I'm going to flip it and just confuse the AI and myself. 
You mean put me in the box where you are? Sure. Or in that space? Yep. That would be confusing. Yeah. I find my bliss wherever I can. Oh, wow. The AI just threw an error message because they really don't like that phrase. Well, on that note, good night, hometown citizens, and we will see you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. See y'all later. Bye-bye. Boop. <laughs>